Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute? Is that right? Did I do it right? to another exciting episode of Superman 2 Movie Minutes, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly his 1980s Superman 2 five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me as always on this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Howdy, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Very well. We're, we're, we're back uh, for episode two of Superman 2, and uh, we're going to work our way through the credits here, but then we're actually going to strike a movie in this episode, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's exciting. Um, the five minutes opens with the shot of Clark in the barn, which is, of course, again, a, a scene from Superman 1, and then we're going to move on to the credit, the continuing on with the credits. Um, we get uh, Mark McClure who gets – actually, starts with Margot Kidder because we're, we're still in the main credits. we got Margot Kidder, Jack O'Halloran, of course, playing Non. Valerie Perrine is back, albeit briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, Susanna York gets a much bigger role this time around. Thank you, Marlon <laughs> <Yeah>. Brando. Uh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we have the shot of, of Clark throwing the, the crystal. And then they move on to sort of the, the later credits. And I, it's funny, the Mark McClure – is still kind of buried in the back, which I don't know. That makes me feel bad for him. He's Jimmy Olsen. I feel like he should get, you know, like a bigger, I don't know, something. Like he should be further up. He's he's one of the main characters. Of, I guess these movies never used him that much, but it it just feels weird to have Jimmy further back in the credits. Yeah, that that is odd. I mean, and Jimmy, you know, he gets his he gets his big moment actually in Superman three, oddly enough. True. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and then Supergirl, strangely, yeah, uh, yeah. which you know, there's your cinematic universe people right there. Mark McClure, <laughs> he's the he is the original Nick Fury. Okay, uh, <laughs> actually, I guess Lon Chaney Jr. is Larry Talbot's the original Nick Fury, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it's it, that's kind of odd. And what really it still gets me about Margot Kidder because there's a whole lot of Lois in this movie. And, oh yeah, she's huge. And you would. And you would think after the success of the first one and how people reacted to the chemistry between her and Christopher Reeve that she would be like right after Christopher Reeve's name, really. I mean, it's it's and it might have something to do with the fact that she was a little vocal about the uh, <laughs> directorial change and and not real uh uh, kind to the Salkinds anytime somebody interviewed her. So that might that might have kept her in the credits where she was in the first one, you know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff has to do with, like, your agent and what your agent can get you. But, I mean, between Superman and Superman 2, she had done the Amityville Horror, which was a big hit. It was a huge mm-hmm. hit. And so you would think that would have maybe given her a little more muscle to, to get further up in the credits. I could see her not getting her name above the title because that's, like, a huge thing in Hollywood. But nevertheless, it's... 
they they were rarely committed to everybody being alphabetical. Once you get past the title of the movie, it's like it's just strictly alphabetical until you get to the supporting people, and then you get with Clifton James, who of course play the the fat Southern sheriff. Uh, that was a part that, uh, hey, you want to talk cinematic universes, you know, I mean, he ostensibly played the same character in the James Bond movies, which were, of course, written by Tom Mankiewicz. So if you want, you could say these are all one big Tom Mankiewicz verse of, uh, of films. I, I just get this feeling that Clifton James was just hanging out on the Pinewood set in his sheriff uniform. In his sheriff uniform, like, yeah. And they're like, hey, you want to be in this movie? And he's like, okay. Yes. You guys need a uh, Southern Sheriff caricature to add to your movie? You guys want to put it in, I don't know, Time Bandits or something? No, 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 that's fine. But we can put it in Superman. Okay. Uh, and then the next credit is E.G. Marshall as the president. I, I love... I, I I just there's something I love movies that have that credit as the president. It just sounds so important. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you see? Now I don't know. It's it's on IMDb, which you know, of course, IMDb sometimes you got to take with a grain of salt. But I, I never saw this anywhere else. But that they had wanted Henry Fonda to play the president. No, I didn't know that. That's f- yeah. oh my god. Wow. Yeah. Of course, they were in uh, what Twelve Angry Men together. So I mean, you know, but uh, uh, so yeah. So E.G. Marshall. My kids always think of E.G. Marshall as uh, as Clark Griswold's father-in-law from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I think of him from Creepshow myself. I was thinking what, that myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 12, between Twelve Angry Men and Creepshow, like to me, he's I, that, I'm covered with him. Um, that would have been interesting. I mean, Henry Fonda played the president in like six other movies. Uh, and much worse movies than this. So it's, I don't know. It's not like they couldn't have gotten, that's interesting. I, I think he might've been too famous, like to be, mm. I don't well, What am I saying? Marlon Brando was Jarrell. What the hell am I talking about? So yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, Henry this is right around the time of on golden pond too. You yeah. Know, so. yeah. He yeah. was really old. I mean, he was getting very old at that point. And this was near the, really the end of his career. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. That would have been crazy. Henry Fonda <laughs> in a super bad movie. Uh, and then we get, and Terrence Stamp. So, of course, reflecting that he is playing a much bigger role this time around. And that's the final uh, cast credit. We'll get it. After that, we move into the, the music credits. Uh, Ken Thorne is up. But so, yeah, Terrence Stamp gets a, gets a big promotion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he kind of he owns a good chunk of this movie, though. You know? sure so you got you to gotta, gotta give it to Terrence Stamp. I think this is one of those cases where the and actually, yeah, and Terrence Stamp. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, it, it really, sometimes you get that and it's like, yeah, you know, big actor, but they're not that significant in the movie. But in this case, oh, no, this is <laughs> Zod makes quite an impression in this film. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, Terrence, Zamp, Terrence Stamp as Zod is one of I would put on like the five great movie villain performances of all time. Like everybody knows it. It's become part of the culture. You can say Neil before Zod and you kind of know what that is, even if you've never even seen the movie. And mm-hmm. of course it was reflected in the fact that he appeared on Smallville. I mean, so did a lot of people from these movies, but you know, he played a pretty big part in Smallville. So, I mean, there was a, yeah. a, a constant acknowledgement of how iconic he was in that role. I mean, he's just sh- short of Darth Vader, like, you know, hard pressed to think of like one of the more, like just memorable movie villains. I mean, he's just so big in this movie, and it fits perfectly. He's just—he's just such a jerk from beginning to end. Well, and I love every interview I've seen, I've read with him on the characters. He was—he was like, it's so refreshing to play a two-dimensional character, you know, basically. <laughs> and how many actors have you ever heard say that? You know, it's like. You know, he he had tired of playing all these nuanced characters, you know. He wanted he, – he thought it was great to just play this guy that's just a flat – just flat evil. I mean he's just – he's arrogant and just 
I, you know, full of himself and just he's he's only sees things one way. That's his way. And he loved it. And and, and it shows, you know, he relished playing this guy and it it comes across on the screen. So I, I'm really looking forward to examining General Zod <laughs> on this on this show. Oh, yeah. He gobbles the scenery. Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, it's a it's a thriller. It's kind of well, it's like a drama slash they're called the Limey. It's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Yes. Yes. Oh, you have seen Limey. I love yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's very, very strange in that it, it stars Terrence Stamp. And then there are flashbacks to the same character as a young man. And Steven Soderbergh actually pulls footage from another movie that had Terrence Stamp in it from the 60s. So they don't have to do any makeup tricks. It's just younger Terrence Stamp. And if you don't know the trick, for a half second, you're like, wait, what? 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 How did they do that? You know, and then you realize, oh, okay, they he literally got permission. But I mean, you've rarely seen that in another movie, so it's so weird to see a because you're you know you're so used to when they do flashbacks that it's either a different actor with a putty nose, you know, for instance, or or they're just faking it. You know, it's somebody with a big wig or something. But that's the one of the rare cases I can think of where you're literally seeing the actor as he looked forty years earlier. Uh, and a different thing. And so it's like, it was just fun to see him in like that. Like, wow. I'm seeing two different versions of the guy 40 years apart. That's kind of cool. Yeah. In the days before, you know, Marvel made an art form of de-aging oh, man, actors, yeah. you know, oh, teenage God. Robert Danny Jr. Returns and <laughs> Captain America Civil War. <laughs> imagine. I, I, if it, w- if it wouldn't be deemed offensive, I wouldn't be surprised if they could like, at this point, like create Christopher Reeve in a computer and give us a new Superman movie star. Christopher uh, you know, those, I mean, they, they probably can because that, uh, that, those, that fan film of uh, Superman versus the Hulk is, is, is near perfect recreation of Christopher Reeve. I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, you're getting, uh, they may have outdone, uh, you know, the CGI grand Moff Tark and Peter Cushing in a way. Yeah. Know, so. yeah. yeah. That film, that, that thing is, uh, is pretty astounding. So the, after the music credits, we get the Siegel and Schuster, get another, get their creator credit. Uh, and then we get creative consultant, Tom Mankiewicz. And I feel like this credit and its placement is the first indication of Richard Lester, because as was talked about in the commentary track on the first movie, Donner, Richard Donner, our good friend, Dick Donner, Mm -hmm. um, put Tom Mankiewicz's credit as creative consultant near the end, right, basically right before the producers, after, in terms of the order you're watching the credits, after the screenwriters. And apparently the Writers Guild read Donner the Riot Act because you're not supposed to do that. The way the credit is supposed to be writers, producers, director. And the fact that he stuck in Mankiewicz after the writers was Donner's way of saying, look, this is the guy that really wrote this movie, Tom Mankiewicz, mm-hmm. not not Leslie Newman and Robert Benton and Mario Puzo. Even though it got him in a lot of trouble, he did it. But here, Mankiewicz is pushed way up front, and that to me suggests that's Richard Lester sort of pushing Mankiewicz a little bit to the side and being like, no, 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 you know, because obviously there's a lot of rewriting, a lot of things. So that's Mankiewicz's if, – if Donner had done this movie, Mankiewicz's credit would have been a lot later on. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's it's kind of amazing he gets a credit because he did not come back for this movie. I mean, nope. he didn't come back. He they basically asked him to come back, and I mean, he's on the you know the DVD Blu-ray special feature saying they asked him to come back, and he said, "No, Dick Donner's my friend, and I'm not going to do that to him." And him and Stuart Baird, the editor, both said, "Nope, not coming back." Uh, they stuck with Donner, and uh, 
you know, <laughs> Donner and Baird get no credit, uh, but uh, which I guess Baird wouldn't if they didn't hadn't edited anything together before. But but Mankiewicz is here, and I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of interesting that he that he still gets the credit in, in a lot of ways because you know there's <laughs> there's a good chunk of Richard Donner in this movie and he doesn't get any credits. So. I know. I think it's all I think it's all in like what the WGA rules are and what the DGA rules are. I never know yeah. all that stuff so arcane. But yeah, so we get Mankiewicz and then we get the the the, the screenplay credits for. Uh, Leslie Newman and David Newman and Mario Puzo. Again, like Puzo had a hell of a contract oh, that yeah. he could keep getting his name on these movies, even though there's virtually nothing of his in here. I mean, that's yeah. just like again, it's it's all about what your agent can get you. And when they when they booked Puzo, he was the hottest thing. He had just come off The Godfather. He was the yeah. biggest thing in Hollywood, and so he had the heft to do it. I mean, that's to this day why we never got a Superman movie adaptation. Right, because you got to pay Mario Puzo, and they don't want to do that. It's crazy, you know. <laughs> well, and I think part of it too is is the 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 Salkinds sold this movie on having a script by Mario Puzo yep. too. I mean, they basically like, hey, we got Mario Puzo. Remember the Godfather? We got that guy. You know, yep. I mean, that's yep. that's basically how they. We got Brando. We got Hackman. We don't even know what they're doing, but we got them. You know, basically, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing with them, but we've got them. You know. And so, I mean, they they kept, you know, just if they can put his name up there, they did. I, I really think it's weird. Where's Robert Benton? What happened to what happened to him? He's yeah. not in this. <laughs> did he like write part of the first one? And it's like, yeah, I'm out, guys. You know, and 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 uh, and David and Leslie Newman continued on, and I think they contributed to uh, Superman three without looking it up. I think they uh, and Benton may have been involved in Superman three as well. I can't remember, but yeah, I think uh, so. yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of odd that he doesn't get a credit here. So I I really don't know. I don't know if they came back in and rewrote the the new parts that are just Lester. You know the the scenes we're getting ready to get in that are just Lester. You know um, I don't know. I don't know who wrote those. You know yeah, um, weird. so maybe. Yeah, complicated. Very um, Hollywood is not uh, not an easy place to work. Uh, so we have uh, we have executive producer Ilya Salkind, and then produced by Pierre Spangler, Star Spangle Spangler, as we always yep. call him. Uh, and then we then we get a nice shot of Superman, uh, just sort of uh, on a nice arc, curving. It looks very nice. Again, it's never get tired of looking at Christopher Reeve in front of those matte plates. Uh, and then we get to, directed by Richard Lester. And so we need to talk about Richard Lester a little bit before we get into the, the movie, of course. He is – everyone thinks of him as being British, and he was because he lived in British. But he was actually born in America. He was born in Philadelphia, actually, just across the river from where I'm sitting. Uh, he moved to England early on, and that's why he's – and he's always worked in England. That's why – and he, I think he even had an English accent. Yes, uh, Which is why everybody thinks of him that. But nevertheless, he was born in Philadelphia. And, you know, he gets a lot of – crap because he directed the parts of Superman 2 that people like the least and he directed Superman 3 but nevertheless I, I like to say I read this in a book once and I've always liked it to say all of God's children deserve to be judged on their best work and <laughs> this this guy directed a hard day's night and yeah. if you've never seen a hard day's night anybody that's a that's a masterpiece it just is it is I mean the the thought of how easily a Beatles movie could have been bad because they were just so desperate to put the Beatles in a movie. And the fact that it's as good as it is and the fact that it holds up as well as, as, as well as it does is a testament to the Beatles and to Richard Lester. Cause that movie is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he, he actually directed, he directed help too, but he directed a lot of, of, you know, critically acclaimed movies in the late sixties. And then at some point his, career kind of trajectory kind of changed and he became 
kind of seems like he became more of a jobbing director yeah, type, yeah. you know, and he did the, the three musketeers and the <laughs> infamous <Slash> sequel. Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the four musketeers, Milady's Revenge for the Salkinds. Which is kind of interesting to think that the Salkinds didn't just go with him to begin with, you know, for Superman. I mean, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. He's, he's, he's on the short – I think he may have been on the short list, but I know around the time that Superman was ramping up, he directed Robin and Marion with which, Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. Which is a great movie. That's a great movie. Yeah, exactly. And so he directed that. And, of course, while in between Superman and Superman 2, he directed Butch and Sundance, the early days, which <laughs> mm. – Infamous, infamous sequel that everybody you know hit scratching sequel without the stars. Uh, or How do you do a sequel when all the when your main characters died at the end of the first movie? Right. I know <laughs> the early days. The, the early days, a prequel, yeah, but uh, not cast those actors, uh, those famous uh, leading man actors. Uh, but yeah, so you know he he's got a very interesting kind of up and down career. Uh, but uh, you know, and I mean, he directed. I mean, you know. He did direct probably the most famous sequence in this movie, the the the, the big battle, you know. Yeah, the, it's true. The, the the big battle in Metropolis. I mean, he directed, I think, almost all of that, as far as I know. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's which is another reason why the Richard Donner cuts kind of a strange animal because it's like, well, they never he never filmed that stuff or right. a good chunk of it, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a contentious kind of thing because. I think a lot of the, you know, almost all the actors involved, you know, Mark McClure and, and Jack O'Halloran said, you know, uh, you know, in the interviews you see on the, on the, again, on the, the DVD and Blu-ray sets that the family atmosphere was gone when, when Donner was gone, that, that, uh, Richard Lester was more of a pragmatic, uh, director in a lot of ways. He shot with like three cameras and, uh, he got, you know, two for close up, one for long shots and I guess you'd like, you know, he didn't worry about, you know, doing a separate shot for the close up. And and uh, so the actors acted their part out. You know, I'm sure they did multiple takes, of course, yeah. but, you know, they didn't I guess they didn't feel like that special extra bit of attention was given to their their part, maybe. And and, uh, you know, Mark McClure was especially, you know, like you stand here, get the shot, move on, that type thing. You didn't he, you didn't feel that connection of like working with the director on your scene and, and, and that type of thing. And, and then of course there's the whole, you know, apparently he said, uh, we don't want to do that David lean thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not a great quote when you just hear it like that. He's like, Oh, I don't, I, why would I want to imitate one of the greatest directors of all time? Oh, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> we don't want this movie looking like Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Shivago. No, yeah. God. <laughs> why would you want that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I mean, he, he went for a more – he wanted to mimic comics, and although he said he never really read comics, he wasn't allowed to when he was a kid. And he apparently – he claims that he didn't even know anything about Superman when wow. I, when I guess they asked him to – of course, they asked him to be the go-between you know, uh, as a supervising producer or whatever. He gets no credit on Superman the movie, but he was there on the set towards the latter days of the filming of the first Superman movie and, of course, part of this movie. Uh, but when Richard Donner was still director, he was there to facilitate the strained relationship between Donner and the Salkinds. And uh, but but uh, you know he changed kind of the look of the cam, the look of the uh, uh, throughout what Jeffrey Unsworth had did, the kind of look he did, and went with more of a static. Right. Uh, let's, right. let's 
re- try to recreate the look of a comic book and cram as many people into a frame type thing. And I don't, I don't really know. I mean, you know, I don't really know. We get the the comic booky feel from that so much as it's just it just seems more. Uh, I hate to say, use this word, and maybe people might get started getting angry, but it's just got more of a, a, a pedestrian, less artsy feel to it than the first movie did. You know, it's just got it kind of tones down the epic nature yes. just from the just from the cinematography angle. Yeah. I would I would agree with that entirely. Yeah, uh, it does feel just less grand, and you right. might some people could say that's that means less pretentious. Uh, I don't know, you know, and you could also argue that this movie is by the by the the nature of its story, which is really just three villains come and you know, and Superman punches them a lot. I mean, that's really your story yeah. that it just doesn't necessarily lend itself to the to the David Lean thing that Donner was going for. So yeah, there are arguments both ways, but yeah, I do think the film looks overall just a little cheaper, just a little, just less, less David Leanish. I again, we keep using that phrase, but I mean, it, yeah. it really, I mean, Donner really did bring that kind of widescreen, big Hollywood epic aesthetic to the first Superman. And this movie just does not have that. So I no. mean, again, you can argue one way or the other, but you're right. He did. Lester did direct that scene, which is to me, the single greatest superhero move moment in all of movies. We'll get to it obviously in later episodes. <laughs> so yeah, he does deserve credit. I do want to mention a couple other things that he directed. He did a, a movie called Cuba uh, with also with Sean Connery. So obviously they got along relatively well to do two movies together. And then his, um, he did a movie called finders keepers with Pamela Stevenson, who would of course uh, return with under with Richard Lester and Superman three. His last fiction movie is the return of the musketeers, which was a you know long awaited like, second sequel to the Musketeers movie. And he worked with an actor named Roy, Roy Kinnear. And apparently they were very good friends. And then Roy Kinnear died uh, right after the finished, they finished return of the Musketeers. And apparently it just drained all the enthusiasm out of Lester to direct movies. And he never directed another movie, even though he lived for another, however many years. Um, Or I mean, he's still alive actually, but he's, you know, he lived long. I mean, 19, that was 1990 when he made that. So he's been in retirement a very, very long time. But apparently he just was kind of like, eh, I don't even care about this anymore. So that was it for right. him. Yeah, uh, Roy Kinnear, I always think – I instantly think of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He's right. Baruch Salt's dad in, right, in Willy right, Wonka. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I, mean, I know he's in, a, he's in Hammer films as well. And, oh, uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, he's in several Hammer films. But yeah, he, I, he shows up in a lot of British productions. Great actor. And uh, yeah, that, that – that was sad to hear that, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, we didn't get any more Richard Lester after that, but I mean, yep. I guess he had a, he had a pretty, had a pretty solid career, you know? So, oh, I mean. sure. A of, <laughs> yeah. You directed a couple of really classic. I mean, again, even if you had just directed a hard day's night, just that that's enough. Like that puts yeah. you into the pantheon. I mean, he's got a film in the criterion collection for Pete's sakes. It's a hard day's night. So, and I don't, I don't want us to get too far afield because we're trying to like get to the actual movie, but I have like a, this little story about Robin and Marion, and since we're never going to do Robin and Marion Minute, um, <laughs> I, I'll tell it here if you don't mind because I just think sure. it's funny. I read this in, a, in, a, in an issue of um, Premiere. Remember that magazine, the movie magazine? Yeah. And they were, ta- they were talking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Kevin Costner movie. Mm-hmm. And it was a big article about it. And that was a very troubled production because it was directed by Kevin Reynolds, who was best friends with Kevin Costner. And apparently Reynolds was 
little overwhelmed by the scale of the production of how much money was involved, and apparently there was a lot of overruns. But then there was this bit where, of course, at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sean Connery shows up. He plays, mm-hmm. King, plays King Richard. So yep. he was only on the set for like three days or something. But it, it, this the, the article talks about they're sitting around the set and Reynolds is like tearing his hair out. He's so stressed of trying to shoot this movie. Cause, and the, 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 the Prince of Thieves shoot was like five months. Huge. And he was losing his mind. And Connery is just sort of sitting back, the old hand, just watching all this relaxed. And uh, he decided, Connery decided, I guess, to like just poke a little bit at Kevin Reynolds, and he's like, and and you you you're better at the Sean Connery than I am, but he, but he does this thing where he's like, well, you know, when we did Robert and Marion, uh, that only took uh, 29 days, <laughs> and Kevin Reynolds is like, you shot that entire movie in 29 days, and there's this <laughs> there's this pause, and Connery goes, it's a good movie too. It was like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> such a little like. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't resist being like, you know, you're you're taking six months to shoot your movie. We did a really good one in 29 days. I thought that's kind of a credit to Richard Lester that, hey, we made a really good movie in like in a month, buddy. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I never forgot that story. I read it once 35 years ago in that magazine. I never forgot it. Just that was really funny. The poor, poor Kevin Reynolds just not enjoying life as a, as a film director. So, uh, so, so anyway, now we're past director Richard Lester. Now we're actually in the movie. Um, yeah. and we've got, uh, Christopher Reeve, we've got our hero as he walks into the offices of the daily planet. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm a little like, I think we're seeing the hallmarks of the Lester touch and that the literally the first thing in the movie is a physical gag. Of, yeah. of the, the, the janitor or whoever trying to load the hat rack or whatever it is into the door and Clark bangs into it. So we're already kind of getting a sense of the lighter tone of, of this movie. Yeah, and, you know, Christopher Reeve has said that he enjoyed filming Superman 2 better than any of them. I mean, you know, huh. so, I mean, I, I think he enjoyed the, these comedy bits. You know, I think he it gave him you know it gave him he he always said he liked playing i mean as much as he enjoyed playing superman he really liked playing clark and you know playing that conceit that you know this guy was here's the most powerful man on earth and he's playing this you know play acting this complete goofball uh but uh you know he it's so charming though. I mean, it is definitely, you're seeing the, the Lester touch, but I mean, I love how he, you know, he comes in, he, he, like he said, he said, the guy's like got a exercise bike with no wheel on it or something. And he's trying to get it through the door and Clark like shoves it into the door and trying to help him. And then he, he walks in, he's, he's comments on that woman's blouse and he throws his, his throws his hat and it just lands on the right. hat rack, which <laughs> how many takes did that take? I wonder, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, just, it, it, and nobody, you know, nobody is like, he's like, Oh, Hey, you know, and everybody's like, uh, yeah, excuse me, Clark, blah, blah, blah. They're just all brushing him off. There's a goofy confidence about it. That's just plain endearing. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy it, but yeah, it's definitely showing that, uh, that, 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 uh, this is, this is going to be a lighter touch here, definitely. <laughs> it's funny the hat gag because you mentioned that, and I when I first wa- when we were watching it for these minutes, I was like, "Boy, did they do that whole scene?" And then he had to do the hat flip because that had to be a. And then I see that there is a point where Christopher Reeve walks behind a post, a, mm. a column, and it's on the other side of the column that we see him do the hat gag. And so I wonder if there isn't a split there. 
um, that's very subtle. That way you're only getting Christopher Reeve doing the hat gag and he's got to get it right. He doesn't have to do all the dialogue and then do the hat gag. Uh, if, if there's a cut there, it's a really good cut because you don't notice it. But um, And it's funny. He even – Clark Kent even seems impressed that he did yeah. it because he flips yeah. the hat and because he, he's not looking when he does it. And then he turns around and he does like a double take of like, oh, look, I did – and he makes his little <laughs> self-satisfied smile, which I thought yeah, that was That little funny. Christopher Reeve smirk. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going on. Yeah. <laughs> And he, he see, we see Louine, who we saw in the first movie, but she was just like second secretary. But now she's got a name, which is the name of the actress, Louine Willow, Willoughby. Right. And, uh, and you know, she doesn't have time for Clark either. She's <laughs> equally dismissive of him. But you can kind of understand why because we soon find out what's going on in the office. So. Right. She has no – this actress, uh, Louine Willoughby, has no credits past 1984. So, again, I'm always fascinated by that, how somebody can be in a giant movie like this, like one of the biggest movies in Hollywood, and then never do another thing. Maybe she retired. I don't know. You know, maybe she maybe. went off and did something else. But, I mean, again, she got a big promotion. I mean, she's she's barely in Superman. I don't even really remember her uh, in the first movie. And here, she's Lois's pal, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, and she gets a great – she even gets a, a, a joke line later on in the, you know, the big one just as strong as Superman. She gets that gag. So yeah, and gets shoved by Margot Kidder for it. Gets shoved by Margot Kidder, yeah. Margo Kidder, yeah. <laughs> so it's a pretty pretty big gag. Um, and so then we get we find out the, the, the ten minutes, the uh, ten minute mark ends with uh, Clark and Jimmy and Perry talking about the terrorists and in you know, Jimmy does the whole thing about uh, uh, they're in the they're in Paris, in France. You know, he he yeah. does know where Paris is. You do, Kent, right? <laughs> he does that little yeah. gag. <laughs> And the ten yeah. minutes, ten minutes ends with with Jimmy talking about how many tourists are trapped by the terrorists. Right. Yeah. There, there's some great bits though. As as Clark, I love how you know, Louine runs into the office. She's talking to. She says, uh, "Chief, they want to know how long to hold the you know the page one headline." And he's like, oh, "I'll call it myself." As she walked out, she bumps into Clark, and he he like she like like literally like runs right into the middle of him and yep. you know, of course he's this wall of a man anyway and and and, and she kind of goes around him and he says uh thank you <laughs> <laughs> i love that it's like just so it's such a nervous reaction to something you know sometimes you say things like you know somebody like, well how's it going and you'll have the wrong response or something yeah, oh yeah it feels like but you can kind of also say well thanks for bumping into me you know that was kind of nice you know uh but but uh uh, you know, even Jimmy doesn't acknowledge Clark at first. He says, "Oh, morning, Mister White. Uh, morning, Jimmy." And they're just all into their their thing. So it just you know, just it's another thing that just paints the type of character Clark is. Again, they all they like Clark, and but he's like he's just this character that everybody just dismisses, and it just it helps sell the secret identity thing because nobody really thinks of Clark. He's just he's there, and they like him well enough, but he's kind of this big goofball and they just kind of you know when they don't they're not waiting for him to come in you know to a point he's just part he's part of the scenery at the mm-hmm. daily planet mm-hmm. yeah and it's that's like how he, there yeah yeah he's part of the wallpaper and, and uh yeah and you know we get the whole the the setup of the terrace and yeah we're off and we're off and running so it's uh it's uh it, it's and it's it's a neat way to start this movie and and we can get into that more next time but this I think the way this one, I mean, I, mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about the Donner cut too much, but we, we can talk about what the original opening was, was uh, directly related to, you know, they were looking at, you know, Lex Luthor, uh, Superman stops Lex Luthor, apprehends him, you know, uh, he's in prison for the whole, his whole trying to blow up, you know, California. Uh, and, 
you know, this feels more like there's been some time since the first movie. There's been other adventures of Superman that that can have happened in between. Yes. You know? So that kind of helps sell this idea that these characters have further, you know, their relationships have grown. Superman's fame has grown. He's he saved the world several times over, probably since the first movie. Uh, and, and then, you know, it helps fit in with the comic books and the TV shows and the cartoons. And it it just makes this feel more like this is another epic adventure of Superman, but it's another adventure of Superman. So right. he's probably uh, he's probably taking on Brainiac or the Toy Man or right. you know something right. like that. <laughs> yeah, Mister Mitch's Pedelec or something. Mister Mister Mitch's Pedelec, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's and, and um, it's it's funny. I, I couldn't help but think that you're a graphic designer and I'm a graphic designer. Watching Perry redo the front page with <laughs> literally strips of paper. I'm like, man, things were. Things really sucked in the old days. We we didn't have any frame of reference, you know. Like that's how you had to do it. But right. ever since you've been able to do it all on computer, it's like, oh man, I remember the old days when you had your hot glue gun and you were sitting there pasting that, <laughs> pasting that stuff up and having to rip it off. That was that was. I don't want to go back to that. Was the bad old days? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> very archaic by today's yeah. standards. Oh man, I don't even know how you got that stuff done. You know, I mean, how did you put out a? Some papers did you know twice two editions a day. How the hell did you put all that together when you were doing it literally like that? You know, like it's just unbelievable. And I like, I like how hands-on Perry is. You know, Perry, he's he's the publisher of the paper, and he's literally in his office sweating out the pay stops. I think that's very funny. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, and of course, this is a big, this is a big story. It is you know, a big so. story. It's a big story. Yeah. It's terrorists. So, yeah. uh, so I guess I don't know. I think that's going to do it. Are we? Are we have anything else to say about these this, these five minutes? I think we've covered it pretty well. All right, cool. I said, well, that's going to do it for episode two of Superman Movie Minutes. Of course, if you want to find more episodes of the show, go to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com, and you can listen to all the back episodes of Superman Movie Minute And as we move on here through Superman 2. So I guess we're going to be back next week for uh, minutes 10 through 15. I guess, do we want to plug? I don't know. Do we want to plug our stuff? I guess we can just find, you can, everybody can do where we are. You can find all our stuff on firewaterpodcast.com. <laughs> we don't need to get into all that, do we? I don't think so, now. Uh, cool. Yeah, all right, everybody. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again.